You're now listening to the SPLX Podcast. Every week, we'll have the latest news and interviews with SPLX athletes and special guests. This is the SPLX Podcast. And now your host, Brian Fritz, with the latest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SPLX Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Fritz, and let's get to this week's latest news. Rey Mysterio was announced for All In this past weekend. Mysterio, along with fellow SPLX athlete Chelsea Green, will both be a part of the event in Chicago on September 1st. The All In show has officially sold out, but before All In, Ray will compete for New Japan Pro Wrestling in Japan, but his opponent has yet to be announced. Chosen Bros were in action this past weekend for Rev Pro against Aussie Open, then on to Over the Top Wrestling's Scrapper Mania 4 event, where Matt Riddle took on Will Ospreay in a match of the night contender, and Jeff Cobb went to battle against Tomohiro Ishii, which was everything you'd expect in a match between those two. The main event was Zack Sabre Jr. challenging for the OTT Championship against Jordan Devlin, but Sabre Jr. unfortunately was not successful in winning the title. Talking of OTT, we'd like to thank everyone that came to our SPLX store there and said hello to us at the merchandise stand. Chelsea Green is set to appear for Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore show in Hanover, Massachusetts and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Matt Riddle will take on Keith Lee in a match that's been dubbed the Final War this Sunday for Evolve. Then the following week, he will take on Matt Seidel for Defy. Zack Sabre Jr. was successful in retaining his Rev Pro Tag Team title along with Minoru Suzuki. This Friday, Sabre Jr. will return to WXW to take on Walter in Hamburg, Germany. That's all for the latest news for this week. Now on to part two of our interview with Matt Riddle. So you met Dana White. I want to talk about Dana White a little bit more. So you met him when he announced that you're going to fight to get in the house. Yes. What were your interactions like with him after that, leading up to this point when you got offered a contract? And did he offer you the contract? Uh, yeah. Well, it wasn't him necessarily. It was Joe Silva, you know, the matchmakers. Like, hey, we got to fight for you because he's making matches. Uh, my interaction with Dana White throughout the whole Ultimate Fighter, like, I'll tell you this, Dana White, you know, I've said this, he said, he's said some horrible things about me, I've said some things about him, but at the end of the day, he's a businessman, he does what he does for the best of his business, and the best for his wealth and his well-being, completely understandable. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest, even before that, we would go tip for tat and, like, rip on each other, like, I, I remember him, like, I remember being like looking pretty jacked, Dana, and he like looked at me. He's like, "Shut up, Ronald McDonald," because I had like kind of red hair at the time, and I got you know big lips there. So he just called me, and I'm always smiling. So I was like, "Ronald fucking McDonald," and I'm like, "All right, Mister Clean," you know. So we went back and forth. So we had a friendly relationship, you know. I can even say when I was in the UFC, he bought you know when uh, me and my wife had the twins. He bought us a basket for the twin girls and stuff like that. He's not a terrible human being at all. You know, like I said, he's a businessman and he does what's best for his business. Now, do I agree with everything he does? Definitely not. Hence, I'm in the situation I am now. But that is what it is. And he did what he thought was best for his business, you know. But like I said, I don't have any ill will towards Dana, you know. But those were my interactions with him at this point. Like, it was usually some nitpicking, making fun of each other, like ribbing one another. And we were basically like, I wouldn't say we were friends, but we were associates, just like all the other players with him. He's our boss. You know, I don't want to make it awkward. Like, you've seen me interact with people. So 
That was basically our relationship, and it was good. You know, same thing with Joe Silva, Michael Mersh, everybody that worked for the UFC. I had a great relationship with everybody. So let's go back to you signing the contract. Yep. How, at this point, obviously your parents were supporting you, and obviously they changed their mind. How happy were you when you got offered the contract? Well, I'll be honest, I was kind of scared at first because all my other buddies in the top 16 that I thought would have got contracts didn't. Because usually they bring everybody from the show. And I already got calls being like, they cut me. They cut me. And I was like, and I hadn't got a call yet. So I was like, oh, no. Get the call. And they're like, hey, you got to fight. You know, June 16th or July 16th, whatever it was, fighting Dante Rivera, da-da-da-da-da. So I was like, sweet, you know. And it was... uh Seven fight contract deal, a typical Ultimate Fighter contract. Eight thousand to show, eight thousand to win. You have to win three fights in one and con- one calendar year to get a two thousand dollar raise, which means you got to go three and zero in one year to go from eight and eight to ten and ten, which is bullshit to be honest. Uh, but still, I'm happy. I'm 22. I'd still be in college, just paying out money at this point. So I'm in the green. So I'm stoked. I had my first fight. Uh, I moved from Pennsylvania at this point because the Rat Pack was a great gym, but I'm at that next level now. I have to bring my training up to the next level. And I move out to Phoenix, Arizona. And I start training with C.V. Dalloway, Ryan Bader, Arizona Combat Sports at the time. I think now they call themselves Powerhouse Fitness MMA or something like that. But when I was there, it was called Arizona Combat Sports. And I started training out there and it was a completely different world. I, I signed a contract with uh, MTX Audio as well, which was our sponsor. And they basically put me up in a mansion in Phoenix, had my own guest house, that's where I lived. The other guys lived in the main house, had a pool, jacuzzi. Man, they paid for our cable, they paid for everything, plus they paid us $1,000 a month. So I had no bills. And the only thing I had to do was give them part of my pay when I fought. So it was a sweet deal. Went out there, trained, uh, fought Dante, beat him up. One, I didn't finish him, but I won 10-27 or 10-26. I dominated every round, and it, it was a good fight. Uh, so I'm still training at Arizona Combat Sports. I end up tearing my meniscus, and I had to leave Arizona Combat Sports to you know, get knee surgery and stuff like that. And I chose to go back to Pennsylvania where my family was so like I could actually be taken care of while I recover. So I go back there, and... I don't know what happened, if there was a miscommunication or whatever, but my my coaches call me, and my manager calls me, and they go, hey, Joe Silva's upset with you, because I was signed to fight again, but then I got hurt training, he goes, you pulled out of a fight, like, they're mad, da 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 and I was like, oh, and, like, I literally just got out of surgery, and I was like, wow, like, I didn't. I mean, I just didn't want to fight hurt and, like, not be able to perform well, because I know they wouldn't like that. But you guys are telling me he's mad at me? Like, I might lose my job because of this? And like, yeah. Well, knowing me, the morphine's still wearing off from surgery. I have Joe Silva's number. I'm going to call Joe Silva and talk to him because I don't want to, I'll be honest, I don't want to work for a company that would be mad at me for being hurt and not being able to work. I'm not even going to deal with that. So I called Joe Silva, and I'm like, hey, Joe. And he's like, hey, man, is everything okay? I go, yeah, everything's okay, but I have one question. I just talked to some people, I don't want to mention names, but they said you were mad at me because I couldn't fight because I'm hurt. I go, I just got out of surgery. I'm sorry if you feel that way, but like, if you're mad at me because I'm hurt, like, I don't know if I can do this because like, 
I don't want to like kill myself. Like I want to kill myself in the ring when I'm healthy. I don't want to kill myself already hurt and give you a bad fight. You know, I, I thought that's not what you wanted. He goes, whoever told you that's a fucking idiot. I would never do that. I am so happy you told me you're hurt and you got taken care of because I hate when fighters go into fights hurt and they give us crap performances. And he like was pissed about this. And he goes, you tell whoever told you that they're idiots. Da, 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 da. I go, okay. And I wasn't going to. I was just happy that I got the truth. And I was like, okay, whatever. A little upset with my managers and my coaches at the time. Because I was like, you guys basically lied to me. Well, not more than 10 minutes later, my manager calls and my trainer's called. And they're like, what did you say to Joe Silva? Da, 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 da. I'm like, I told him the truth. You guys said that he was mad at me. So I called him and asked if he was mad at me. And you know what, guys? He was not. And actually, he was happy that I pulled out because I was hurt. And I gave him the rundown. And they were like, oh, okay. And I was like, so why would you guys tell me that? And they're like, oh. And they didn't really have an answer. Well, my knees fully recovered. I fly back to Arizona to start training again. I go to the gym with all my gear. And they go, hey, uh, I heard you're moving or something. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah, I heard you like didn't want to be on the team anymore and you're moving. And I was like, that's news to me, but if that's what happening I guess so so basically they didn't kick me off the team they basically said I chose to leave the team they paid me my last check I collected all my things out of my house my guest house and my one buddy who lived in Las Vegas Tom Harwood said hey I'll come bring my car out there and we'll bring all your stuff to Vegas you can come live with me and train out in Vegas and that's what I told the guys in Arizona and they basically looked at me and go you're going to get eaten alive in Vegas. Somebody like you, you won't last a year. Well, let's put it this way. I spent the next six years in Vegas racking up one hell of a UFC record. You know, My next fight was against Steve Bruno. He was a veteran, a world champion in Japan and Korea, all that. Beat the crap out of him. I still hold the record for most strikes landed in one round in the UFC You know, for that one fight. Uh, next fight after that was in Philadelphia, first fight ever in Pennsylvania, MMA fight. Fought Dan Kramer, 30-26, just destroyed him. Then comes my first defeat. I fought in Manchester, England against a man named Nico Sipsack. Now, I'll be honest, at this point I didn't think the English could fight. You know, just because it's so small and MMA is a new sport and America, Canada, and Brazil are usually the most dominant mixed martial arts places just because we've been doing it the longest and there's so many people. We have a huge population, you know? So I, I thought I had this one in the bag. I'll be, I didn't really train that hard for it. I was eating Velveeta every day, like just blocks of cheese. I didn't give a shit, you know? And uh, I paid for it. I came to Manchester. I didn't think jet lag was a real thing either. Bro jet lagged, sick, I was cutting weight and I was like way too heavy to make 170 so I killed myself making weight, get into the fight, do very well the first round, win the first round but it doesn't matter because, and let me, I'll, I'll back it up, so I'm walking out to the ring, music's about to hit. Before my music hits, the crowd's booing me, they know I'm the first one coming out, they're booing me. Call me a cocksucker, a faggot, call me nasty names and spitting on me. 
And I'm like, whatever. You know, I'm a pretty nice guy. You know, I'm just here to do my job. So I'm like, whatever, whatever. And then I hear one guy or one voice. He goes, Matt, Matt, up here. And I was like, maybe there's one fan. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Look up. I look up at this guy. I'm like, yeah. This guy looks down and hawks a loogie right in my fucking mouth. That's disgusting. Right in my mouth. Like, I was like, hey. Like, I spit it out. I go to jump after him. Big ass English security guard grabs me. He's like, not today, mate. You got to fight. Da, da, da. You can't hit the crowd. Of course I can't hit the crowd, but you can't let him spit on me. That's your job too. So now I'm like going crazy because of this, not even thinking about the fight. I'm sick as a dog, whatever. Music hits. And now I'm like, now they're going to let me have it with both barrels because I'm coming out to Hulk Hogan's. I'm a real American. So I'm like, that, they're getting. your choice? Yo, yeah, it was my choice. I was like, because I wanted to like get some heat, right? Well, at this point, I didn't realize how big professional wrestling was in England. Hulk Hogan's music hits, all those boos go to roaring cheers, and the crowd is on their feet insane, just going crazy like Hulk Hogan's coming out, and it's me. So at this point, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone because I literally went from being called all these nasty names and getting spit on, feeling horrible, and now I literally have like, 15,000 people chanting, going nuts for me, slapping my hand on the way out. And I'm like, what's going on here? I get in the ring, take off my shirt, music cuts. Second that music cuts, I mean the second it cuts, those cheers go to, boo, you suck, da, 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 right there. Other dude's music hits, fight starts, whatever, they're cheering for him. Fight's going on. In between rounds, when you're sitting on your stool, they play highlight videos on the big screens around the arena. So you look up when you're fighting in between corners, drinking your water. Every time they show the other guy from England, yay, like hitting me. Every time they show me hitting him, taking him down, boo. Like I'm like, I can't win this fight. Like I had to like finish this guy. And I'll be honest, after the first round, I was done. Second round, he dominated. Third round, he dominated. The ref stopped the fight in the third round. Just... I wasn't doing shit. I was just too tired. Literally after the fight, the Fertitas come in the back and they're pissed. They're like, what happened out there, Riddle? Like, they, you could tell they thought I was going to win. I'm on a three-fight win streak. I'm 20 I'm one of the best fighters in the world. And they just saw me like gas out. And I was like, guys, I'm sick as a dog. I'm jet lagged. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't expect this to happen. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't fly all the way over here to lose. You know, and then like once they saw me and saw how I was speaking, they're like, oh, Sorry, like, we didn't realize you were so sick. Da, 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 da. I was like, yeah. So everything was fine. Fight after that, one of my next two fights against uh, Greg Soto and Demarcus Johnson. De Demarcus was in San Diego, TKO finish. Broke his orbital with a couple elbows. Pretty nasty. Greg Soto whooping his ass. Third round, he illegally up kicks me. So when you're on the ground, if you're both on the ground, you can't kick somebody in the face. So if you're laying on the ground, I can't just run up and soccer kick you. It's illegal because I can, like, kill you. So we're both on the ground, and he decides to just kick me dead in my face. And I'm fine. Like, I sit right up, and I'm like, whatever. Doctors won't let the fight go on. My corner won't let the fight go on. I win by default. Plus, I already won the three rounds anyway. I was whooping his ass. It was just that, you know, they had to stop it because of that. So right there. Uh, so, but at this point in my career, I have a good record. I'm five and one, but I fight pretty conservative, you know? Like, I haven't gone out for the big slugfest or fight of the night. I've been just trying to rack up wins. 
And now I'm fighting Montreal against a guy named Sean Pearson. And this guy, he, he he's a veteran. I'm 24. He's 34. He's been fighting for like a decade. He's been fighting all around the world. And I'll grab so have I, but only in the UFC. I only have six fights. Only. Like, I started my whole career there. So, so we fight, and it's a war. I mean, a war like if you watch the fight he's bleeding out of like four places of his face my face is swollen like a it's just swollen bruised up and we slug it out no technique involved whatsoever just a brawl until the crowd is on their feet going crazy uh got a good bonus that night that was the first time I got a bonus. I got an additional. I was supposed to get a $100,000 extra bonus that night. I didn't because it's the first time the fans voted, and GSP is a lot more popular than me in Montreal. So the fans voted for GSP to get fight of the night and stuff like that. Dana White was furious. He goes, that's bullshit. Matt Riddle, Sean Pearson had fight of the night, and they gave me, like I said, a $20,000 bonus plus my pay, you know? So very happy with that, you know? Uh at, and then, I'll be honest, ever since then, I've been a legend in Montreal. Like, they will literally close down strip clubs for me and my friends, kick everybody else out except for the strippers and me, and they'll just party. And I'll go to five-star restaurants. They'll comp me bottles of champagne, food, whatever. They usually just ask me to tip. You know, so like... That's a good deal. Yeah, I got a very good... I love Montreal. I got a very good reputation there, and they have a very good reputation with me. So, I guess I love Montreal. Shortly after that, after that war, I felt fine after the fight, but I must have tore something in my hand because shortly after I was training for another fight and I ripped the ligament in my thumb, so I had to take six months, six months off. And in my MMA career, I've had, like, I already had the one tear in the meniscus. Now I just had a ligament surgery on my thumb. So after that, finally the thumb is good to go. And I am fighting in Louisiana against a man named Lance Benoist, who is, I believe at the time, 12-0, and 0, making his UFC debut, and all of his wins are by knockout or submission. Like, the guy's a stud. We go out, and we're fighting in his hometown. Like, we're in Louisiana, New Orleans. That's where he's from. And it's another, I'm like... From now on, I'm fighting. I'm brawling. I don't care if I win or lose because the thing is you make more money when you brawl in the UFC. So I was like, let's go. I didn't care what he was going to do. I was like, I'm coming for blood. I don't care if I win or lose. I'm just going to hurt you because that's what they want me to do for money. So that's what I did. I didn't win that fight. I should have. It was a split decision that he got. But I broke his nose. I broke his eye socket. I cut him open. I beat the shit out of him. And the thing in about me is my nickname's Deep Waters when I fought. And the reason for that is you might beat me round one. You might even get me a little bit round two, but three and more, there's no way you're going to touch me in the third, fourth, fifth round. Especially after that Nico Sipsack fight in England, I never let my conditioning be an issue ever again because I never wanted to feel that helpless again, you know? So me and Lance fight, brawl, bloodbath everywhere, crazy. Crowd's going crazy. Fight of the night, got an additional 75000 on top of my purse. So this was the first time I was like, sweet, I can finally dig myself out of the hole, you know? Uh, next fight, fought Henry Martinez. And I was like, you know, I lost two fights in a row. I think I have to win this one or they might fire me. Even though I've gotten like two fight of the nights in a row. And after each one of those losses and fight of the nights, they re-signed me to a more expensive contract and more fights. So even though I was losing fights, 
I was having more exciting fights, and they would sign me to bigger contracts for more money. They just want great action. That's all they want. It's like pro wrestling. Regardless of the outcome, they just want great fights. So if you do lose, is that why Clay Guida has such a long career there? Yeah, Clay Guida, and even guys like like guys that were they had horrible records, like Pat Barry. Pat Barry was a great kickboxer, and he had a couple good knockouts. But for the most part, he got knocked out a bunch of times. But every fight Pat Barry's in, somebody gets knocked out. Can't go wrong with that, right? That's exciting. And that's what the UFC wants, you know? It's supposed to be the best fighters in the world. Because the thing is, like that one time where I didn't get the $100,000 bonus, but then I said I got 20000 And what we called those in the UFC, we call them shower checks. So usually they hand that to you, like you get out of the shower and you'll notice like on top of your other check, there's another check. You know, sometimes you get it two weeks later in the mail, sometimes you get it in the shower. So we call them shower checks. But those weren't technically bonuses, those were just extra money because you fought so good. You know, while the bonuses were like the big paydays, you know. Next fight was against Henry Martinez in Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay. Great fight. I also I won that fight. Split decision. Uh, dude's a boxer from Mexico. I boxed him. Probably not the best idea, but made for an exciting fight. I ended up winning because I eventually started taking him down, and I used way more kick. Was your corner furious at you for your game? Did, yeah. did you? Was that not your game plan? No, the game plan was take him down, beat him <laughs> up, win the fight. And I was like, I need to have an exciting fight so I get paid more money. And the thing is, that was the last time I like. It wasn't the last time, but that was the last time I was like, I played 100% into somebody else's game because I didn't get the bonus. I broke my hand, had to get a plate put in my hand, and I was like, never again, never again. You know, because I was like, what's the point of like brawling that hard if you're not gonna get a substantial bonus? And I broke my hand and I was out for like another four months, six months. So at this point, I'm out for another four, six months. I have two kids. I had to figure out how to make money, so I moved to Texas for a little bit while my family's still living in Vegas to run like an MMA school in Texas. So I'm doing that, recovering, get offered a fight. Basically, there's a fight card in Calgary, Canada, and everybody kept getting hurt, this and the other thing. They hit me up probably a week before the fight, and they go, hey, can you make 170 and fight Chris Clements, a Canadian kickboxer? And I was like, yeah, like I need the money. Yeah, it's been like a while. My hand's good. It really wasn't. I just had a plate in it. It was good enough for me, though. I went to the doctor. I was like, I need you to clear me. He's like, it's really not ready. Got him to clear me for the fight. Went up to Canada. And it was probably, I would say it was my best fight in the UFC. Uh, I did everything I wanted to do in that fight. In the sense, I, it was exciting. But I also played to my strengths. In the sense, I would stand up with the guy. He's a world-class kickboxer. But once he started getting the better of me, I took him right down, beat him up a little bit. But then I told him I wouldn't just smother the guy. I talked to him before the fight, and I go, I won't smother you. If I take you down, I'll let you up, all right? And he goes, are you serious? I go, yes. So if you watch that fight, I take him down, and I would be like, stand up. And I let him, I don't let him, I let him work up. So I hold on to him, but I help him up, and then we swing again, and then we get back into our strike exchanges, take down, let him work back up, striking, Take down, work back up, striking. So we're basically giving them every element of an MMA fight. Up, down, ground, feet, da-da-da-da-da, strikes, head kicks, everything. Crowd loves it. Eventually, dude in the third round goes for a spinning back This I duck it, grab a standing arm triangle, basically hit him with a rock bottom, and then submit him, choke him out. 
crowd goes crazy. It's like, like I said, it's one of my best fights ever. And that night, that night changed my life a little bit because that night I got a huge bonus. The bonus was eighty-five thousand that night, and with and I won. And at this point, because I already got my contract resigned, resigned, I was making good money. So I made about hundred and forty thousand dollars that night. So right there with the two kids really helped out, you know. So I got a house, got a new car, not a brand new car, but got a car. And like I I felt like we were finally like on the right track, you know, because I feel like a lot of people think if you're in the UFC you're rich. But that's not the case. You live check to check, you struggle, you only get paid when you fight. Sponsors only pay you when you usually fight, stuff like that. So did good. And at this point now I just want to take fights whenever I can. A couple months later I get offered another fight on three weeks notice against John McGuire. Awesome. Do you feel like you become the guy, the go-to guy? Short notice fight at 170, Matt will do it. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. I stayed in. At this point, I knew what I had to do. I was staying close to my weight. I was training the whole time. I knew I had a family. I knew what I was doing. I was focused on my career. I had to do that. I'll be honest. At this point, I didn't like my job. I didn't like fighting. I didn't like cutting weight anymore. I didn't like what I was doing. I was pissing blood every time. I'd make weight, stuff like that. It was miserable. But I also knew it was the best job for me at the time because I could be home 95% of the time with my family and only work 5% really. All I'd do is go to the gym and come home, go to the gym, come home, and then occasionally every like three times a year I'd leave for one week, fight, and come home. So honestly, it's like a great job to have if you have a family and stuff like that. Plus my wife's a type 1 diabetic and I had to keep tabs on her all the time because you just never know, you know? So everything was good. Won that fight with John McGuire as well. And now things things are getting big. Like now I'm on like another three fight win streak. And but it's later in my career and I'm dominating higher level fighters. Like guys that are ranked top 5, top 10, top 15 in the world. So at this point I'm calling out people. I'm calling out, most importantly, Dan Hardy. I want the Dan Hardy fight. He's the biggest name, not only in the UK, but he's one of the biggest names in the world. And to be honest, he's one of the easiest fights for me. You know, he has no takedown defense. I hit really hard. There was nothing he could do. We've trained before. There was nothing he could do to me, and he knew it. And I wanted the fight. I told the UFC I wanted the fight. Dan didn't want the fight. He said no. Kept saying no. I actually would mess with him. I saw him in Montreal before the McGuire fight, and literally he was in an elevator. I literally ran to the elevator, and he didn't know it was me. I was like, what's up, bro? And he's like, god damn it. Like, you can't. Why won't you leave me alone? I was like, when are, you, when are we going to fight? You know? But he was dodging. He knew I'd win. He didn't want it. And to be honest, for him, there was no money in it for him fighting me. There was money in it for me, not for him. It was a step down at this point. It's a step up for me. So he didn't want it. Well, I'm going for, and at this point, I'm going for any English fighter, really. And they go, hey, how about this? You fight Che Mills in London, and if you win, we'll give you Dan Hardy. And at first, they offer me the fight with Che Mills in London. I say no. And they go, why? I go, last time I was in England, I got spit on, called nasty names, this, that, and the other thing. And I lost my first fight in England, and I don't like being jet-lagged. So... I don't want to do it. And then they're like, well, if you go to London and beat Che Mills, we'll give you the Dan Hardy fight. And I was like, send me the contract. Like, I didn't have I was like, send it over. You can even pay me half, whatever. Like, send it over. Send it over, sign it. Well, two weeks later, Dan Hardy signs a fight contract to fight Matt Brown like three months after my fight. And I'm like, 
That basically means I can't fight him for like another like six months after that fight because Hardy only fights twice a year. So I'm like, you lied to me. You're not giving me the Dan Hardy fight. Even if I win this fight, this is never going to happen. So like I was kind of pissed about that. I knew the UFC lied to me, and that's the first time they like took my trust. Like every time before this, they were pretty straightforward with me, just like I was always straightforward with them. I never had a manager after that point because he lied to me. I always managed myself since then. Uh, so they lied to me, and I was vocal about it. I was like, I'm pissed. Like they lied to me, and I go, honestly, I'm gonna beat Che Mills. I'm not gonna finish him. I'm not gonna hurt him. I'm not gonna knock him out. I'm not gonna choke him. I'm really going to ride him like a horse and just punch him enough where they can't stop it and I'll win. And you know what I did? Exactly that. And the UFC was pissed. Like, furious. Like, after you fight, especially on TV, and you win, you do press conferences, post-fight conference. I did the pre-press conference, and I won my fight. Here's the post-conference. I go, oh, uh, where do we go for that? They go, you're not invited. And what do you think that was? I know exactly what I was because I called them out for being liars. I said they lied to me. They promised me a fight with Dan Hardy, which anybody with an IQ no isn't going to happen ever at this point. One, he doesn't want to fight me. Two, he's fighting like nine months after my fight. Like, I'm never going to get this matchup. And then, you know, and that, that was basically it. And then, like, they were really pissed because I said what I was going to do. I said I wasn't even going to try to finish him. And literally... I took Che Mills' back about three times around. I could have choked him at any time. I could have finished him probably at any time. I'm very good on the ground. And I chose not to. I just beat him up. Not bad. Just tagged him up to let everybody know I was way better, but whatever. Uh, well, shortly after that, the UFC released me, uh, you know, over whatever. And uh, they released me, and like, I, I still think it was kind of shady it was a Europe because it wasn't in America and I don't know if you know this England Europe they don't have the UK doesn't have an athletic commission for MMA so the UFC regulates it themselves so they do all their own testing they do all their own medical work they do everything themselves it's ran through the UFC nobody else do you think this was all of a ploy I mean I wouldn't pass it by them they're very smart I mean, look at where they are now. Look at how much they sold their company for. Look at what they do yeah, to make the money. Sports silent history. Yeah, so they're not stupid. Uh, and honestly, I think they were looking for a way to get rid of me. Because at this point, I was on a winning streak. I was on that rise. I was fighting on TV. I was 27 years old in my prime in MMA. Think about it. I'm 31 right now, and I'm still in my prime in professional wrestling, you know? If I was still fighting, I'd probably be the world champion right now. And I'm not just saying that because I'm arrogant. I'm saying that because it's true. When they fired me, I was ranked top 10 in the world when I was 27. Four years from now, everybody else that was there is literally in the top five or top whatever in the world, or at least has gotten a title shot or something. I'm the only one because I got fired. It is what it is, but like I say, when one door shuts, another opens, right? So after the UFC released me, I was down. Uh, Bellator, of course, hit me up. And they're like, hey, we want you to fight in our welterweight tournament in September. I was like, sweet. I would love to. Sign a contract with Bellator. And if you know anything about Bellator, their contracts are, you don't get out of a Bellator contract. It's impossible. So I signed the contract. I'm like, whatever. The UFC, Dana White just talked a lot of crap on me on Fox Sports. I don't think they're going to bring me back. So Bellator it is. Fighting there. I'm supposed to fight in September. I crack my rib 
two weeks before the fight was supposed to happen. I call him up and go, hey, I cracked my rib. Is there any way I can fight? Because I have a card every weekend. Is there any way I can fight like two weeks after this so my rib can heal and I can fight? And then, you know, then I can continue doing the tournament. And the only reason I asked is because they allowed like multiple other fighters to do this, like Joe Warren and others, because like the one guy had like broke his hand, so they gave him a couple extra weeks or this or whatever, or sprained ankle. And they would give guys a couple extra weeks of time and then let them fight. They go, no. No, that's unacceptable. I go, okay, uh, well, I can't fight. Like I said, I cracked my rib. I'm hurt. Uh, is there any way to get a fight by the end of the year? And they go, no, we have nothing for you. Now, this is a company that has a fight every weekend. And I go, so you're saying I have, you have nothing for me? I go, okay. You know what I'm going to have to do now, right? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I'm going to have to retire. And they're like, well, don't do that. I'm like, well, I'm going to. I'm going to go public, and I'm going to say, i got to retire because you won't give me a fight. And that's what I did. And you know what they did? They're like, okay, we'll give you a fight. So they gave me a fight a couple weeks later. So I was like, sweet. But usually they send me my contract right away. This time they didn't send me my contract right away. Uh, I didn't send me my contract right away. And then... Uh, when they did send it about a week before the fight and I was going to fight like really close to my house in Pennsylvania. It was kind of cool. A week or two before the fight, they sent me the contract and it's literally says I'm going to get paid half of what we agreed to. And in the contract, it stipulated that they were legally allowed to change my purse. Could I change it to zero? I guess. Or, or they, they said legally corporate Bellator had the right to change my purse as they saw fit of my value. Well, and I mean, technically they told me I couldn't talk about this or they would sue me, but Sam Kaplan's fired and a Bajorn's fired. So all the people that were there are no longer there and they're run by a much better group of people now. But at this point they were like, okay. Because I was like, I'm going to go public with this. Like, you guys aren't going to pay me. You're going to, you cut my pay in half. You basically said it was in my contract after I had my lawyer look up and down this contract. And we had to do three different contracts. And you still slip something in behind my lawyer's back. It's like, I'm going public with this. Like, I can't do this anymore. You guys are like literally just breaking me down as a human being. And they go, no, 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 don't go public with it. We'll... We'll, we'll get rid of your contract. We'll release you. And, and they were even like, you know how hard it is to get rid of our contracts. It's like, we will release you. No strings attached. You can go work anywhere you want. You just can't say a word about this situation. This was also like, what, like five years ago, four years ago? And I was like, all right. I go, but you guys can't say anything bad about me. And they were basically like, fuck you, no. We're going to be able to say whatever we want, and our fighters can say whatever you, we want, but you can't say a word. And I was like, no, fuck you, take me to court. I was like, do what you got to do. <clears throat> of course, my wife and her lawyer were like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, play ball. So I was like, of course, I didn't want to do that, but at the same time, I have a family. I have three kids at this point because when I did get fired from the UFC, I literally had my son two weeks before that fight, and then they fired me. So, you know, tough time. Uh, so, Bellator releases me. Full release, but then they talk shit. They basically say I was a loser, I pulled out of the fight, I have no respect, da 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 Because I couldn't really say what happened. And they could say whatever they wanted. 
So after that, that kind of like gave me an even worse name in MMA because now it's like got fired and then this. So it's like, damn. And then Titan FC hits me up and they go, hey, we can't pay you that much. They told me what they could pay and they told me the opponent and they said they would have opportunity for me. And I go, that's fine. You're going to pay me this much? And it wasn't that much money, but they're like, yes. They didn't change it. I went, I weighed in, I fought, I won. I beat Michael Kuyper with a guillotine. He also fought in the UFC. You know, we were both former UFC fighters. And I won, hands down, easy night. You know, after that, I signed a six-fight contract with Titan FC because they were like, hey, we'll get you a fight every two months. We'll keep you busy. Even though you're getting paid a little less, with you fighting six times a year, you'll make good enough money to support your family and yourself. And I was like, awesome, I can do that. Well, two months later, no fight. Four months later, no fight. Six months later, no fight. Eight months later, no fight. And I'm just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like, I'm not getting fights. And it was only a two-year contract. So, like, I still had, like, 14, I guess 14 months left on it. And I was just discouraged. And I was at home. And this is where it goes from MMA to pro wrestling again, where it goes full circle. I'm at home and 9.99 for the network. It's advertised everywhere. WrestleMania. I haven't watched WrestleMania in probably like a year or so. And what year were at this point? It was the year Daniel Bryan won. It's 2012. It was the year Daniel Bryan won both titles. You know, it was it was a big year for WrestleMania, I guess for me at least. And I watched it. And I was watching, and I always watch pro wrestling, but at this point I'd just watch pay-per-views there, and I wasn't like a fan fan anymore. You know, I was fighting so much and trying to keep up with MMA. And I was watching pro wrestling, and I was like, you know, it was bringing me back. I was like, this is something I've always wanted to do. This is why I even got into MMA and amateur wrestling. And then I was also seeing guys like Daniel Bryan, even Dolph Ziggler, and others kind of using more MMA style or amateur wrestling techniques and stuff like that. And I was also looking at the size of these guys, and I'm like, they're not the giants that I grew up watching. When I grew up watching them, like the smallest guy was like Shawn Michaels and X Pac. And right now, like if you see X Pac, he's like six two and two hundred. He's big. And Shawn Michaels is pretty big, too. Like, yeah. these are big guys. But back then, they, they so small, yeah. compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, the the locker room's changed. You know, the size thing has changed. There's still huge guys, but there's a lot of more middle-sized guys because they know they can work a faster rate all the time and not get injured because they're smaller, you know? So I saw all these things, and I was like, you know what? I think I can do this, and I think I can do it better. Thanks for listening to this week's SPLX podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Appreciate it, everybody. And we'll catch you next week right here on the SPLX podcast.